Welcome, everybody, to the second edition of Panfish Weekly. Mark, we got a big one tonight. This may be the biggest show that I've ever been involved with, and I've done some big ones over the years. I'm but, proud to be here with you. I'm looking forward to it, Lyle. You keep doing what you're doing, and, and uh, I think this is definitely going to be a success, and tonight's just a testament to that. Uh, we have we have one of the all-time greats um, as far as fishing, hunting, um, outdoor sports things for years and years watched his family grew up as I raised mine and my kids watched babe the same as I did and we want to welcome babe Winkleman to panfish weekly welcome America welcome all you fi fellow fishermen and hunters and people who have just gathered for the evening full of fun um, we're going to try and do as much as we can to inspire you and your families to participate as often as you can in the outdoors. Man, that's awesome. We um, we started Panfish Weekly because we felt that, that with what we'd done in the catfishing world, babe, had probably went quite a ways in the last six and a half years, and we wanted to touch basis on the panfish world that I think is one of the greatest things that's overlooked in fishing today. What are your thoughts on that? Well, panfish are not overlooked. Uh, maybe in your part of the world, but in our part of the world, they're not. But, you know, in your part of the world, the southern half of the United States, everybody puts almost all the emphasis on bass. Period. Mm -hmm. um, there's walleyes in a lot of those states. Mm -hmm. Good ones. I remember the first time I ever went to Bull Shoals, Arkansas, and about the early 70s, 72 or 73 maybe, and uh, pulling up to the dock and my slip and, and uh, get in place. And this guy comes driving over with his boat. He said, sir, he said, I see your boat's registered from Minnesota. Are you from Minnesota? I said, yeah. He said, could you tell me what I've got here? And he pulled, I said, come on over. He pulls over and he's got two walleyes, a 13 and a 15 pound walleye that he got on jerk baits fishing bass and he didn't even know what they were i mean there there's a a good walleye fishery in a lot of places and that particular one has some jumbos in it yes sir but they just don't get the attention down south when i started the bass state bass federation along with a couple of other guys in 1973 one in one quarter percent of the people fished bass in minnesota and almost all those guys were hula poppers or meadow mice or anything else. Um, and that was it. We have arguably the best bass fishing of any state in the United States when you're talking about catching bass up to, let's say, about six pounds. Do we have some larger bass than that? Yeah, there's some sevens, some that uh, will probably hit eight. I've seen bigger fish, but... Um, our, our state record is some over eight pounds right now. But pound and a half to six pound fish was the first time they ever came to uh, Lake Minnetonka, which is a big lake right in the cities. It took four and a half pounds average to win a three-day BASS tournament. Oh, wow. You check back in the annals of history and see how many tournaments. When I used to fish them, uh, Al Linder and I calculated it out one day. If we took 
an exact limit every day of the tournament that each fish weighed exactly two pounds. We would have at the time won about 93% of the BASS tournaments. <laughs> nice. The first time they come to Minnetonka, it took a four and a half pound average. The second time they come here, those guys got weighed or wise. It took over a five pound average uh, to win it. And it took a four and a half pound average to make the money. That'll give you an idea. And that's amazing. Here, the, the, the ball, yeah, we've got bass fishing going in clubs and all kinds of stuff now and, and et cetera. But still, the people up here fish walleyes, they fish pike, they fish panfish. That's that's outstanding because, like I say, I live in southwest Missouri. I'm about an hour from Lake Ozark and Truman. I'm sure you're very familiar with them. I feel uh, both. Yep. I, I just uh, – the people fish for panfish up here, and they fish for crappie a lot. But things such as bluegill and brim and other stuff are, are overlooked, and we want to bring awareness to that. And it doesn't matter if you're fishing, to me, if you're fishing the lake or one of the streams that make up the lakes or, or a farm pond. Those those fish, uh, there's some giants out there that people are just passing up so they can catch the big catfish and the big bass and stuff. And I can't think of a better way to get children started than taking them out catching bluegill. Or adults. Agreed. Or, yeah. or adults. Let me, you said earlier you wanted me to tell a little bit of how I be. My yes, story. sir. Yeah. Absolutely. When I was just turned six years of age, a few weeks after that, we moved to another farm. My father, my grandfather died and, and um, my dad's stepmother stole the farm from him. So we had to buy it. Dad bought another one. And there was a creek called Stony Brook that was about 125 feet, maybe 150 feet from the house. The house was on a hill and, the, and so forth. I'd never seen a creek before in my life, period. And I mean, we were only a mile and a half from where we had lived prior, but it was amazing to me. And I, I stood on that bridge. I watched that first day, the water swirling around the rocks and going down and it was pretty clear. You could see well. And the next day I was down there again. I was just fascinated by it. And I looked down underwater, water and I see a bunch of striped fish swimming along in the side current closer to shore. And I got so excited. And I ran up and said, Dad, 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 there's striped marlin or something down here. There's striped fish, big ones. You got to rip me up something to get fish with. So back those days, we had four and a half foot tubular steel rods with little Fluger Supreme reels about this big. You yep. could maybe cast 10 feet with them. I mean, it was, they were just very difficult and archaic with black store string on them. But he rigged me up a hook and a bobber and, and uh, um, sinker, and I dug a bunch of worms out of the garden, or garden, put them on, and I cut a whole pile of great big striped suckers that were running out of the lakes 40 miles away going up the creek to spawn. And we threw them up on the bank. We brought them up. Dad made me clean them, or he helped me, and we cleaned them all up, and we ate them. And they're bony, but they're, they were fish, and they were good. And I'll just – I'll never forget seeing them. I'll never forget watching the first one swim over and take that worm on my hook and me setting the hook. And I've got my first fish on in my life, and I am just friggin' pumped. <laughs> I mean, pumped. I, I, I don't know how many. I caught 20, I suppose. And then the group move kind of dissipated. Um, so I kept fishing that pond or that stream. 
And in the years to come, I, I knew every hole, every crevice, every anything, all the way up and down at all the land that we had where the creek went through. But the second year or a year later, my father took my brother Dennis and I and his his brother Tag and himself and Tag's son Jim. And we went to a place called Indian Lake. And we were going to fish for sunnies, sunfish, bluegills, brim, you guys call them. Well, brim, mm-hmm. sunfish, they're all all members of the sunfish family. So are bass, right. so are crappies. They're all members of the same family. Um, they're nest builders. Well, I didn't know that. Hello, seven. <laughs> um, we got up into the shallows of this lake, and it was beautifully clear water. And we come to this one big bay, and there was just honeycombs as far as you could see, holes in the sand made by bluegills, and thousands of fish swimming. They were they were ever they were crazy. Well, us three kids went through something I can't explain, and so did our fathers. They were having as much, if not more, fun than we were. We were catching sunfish and catching them and catching them. Do you guys happen to know what a gunny sack is? Yes, sir. I do. Great big, huge green sack. Mm-hmm. He filled a gunny sack full of big bluegills that day. Wow. And we ran finally out of bait. And I said, Dad, we got to keep going. And I had I had a little gold hook on, nothing else. And I got dangling over to the side. And this little perch come up to it. And he's looking at it. He takes a swipe at it. And I go to set the hook. And I catch his eyeball. And it pops out of his head. And I got his eyeball on on my jig. I said, Dad, I think I got bait. And I threw it over the boom. I had a bluegill again. Right away. It was, I'll never forget that day for the rest of my life. And I have caught fish that weigh hundreds of pounds. I've done more things than you could imagine from the Arctic Sea to the tip of Argentina, um, from Hawaii to Africa, but mostly in North America. And nothing stands out in my memory like that day catching sunfish. I still to this day love to catch bluegills. I love to catch crappies. Perch weren't even considered a game fish for years in Minnesota. Minnesotans didn't eat them. They ate panfish or walleyes. Mm-hmm. And and pike as well. A lot of people like pike. And they're good if you know how to take the Y-bones out. They, they definitely are. And when you when you say perch, you're talking yellow perch. Just I'm talking yellow perch, yeah. Yellow perch, absolutely. Well, it got to, got to the point, the folks over in Wisconsin and Michigan and further east were capitalizing and just pulverizing major perch fisheries. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of them started coming over here, fish wall like the web, a lot of good lakes and stuff for them, and caught a bunch of big perch. Well, they found out there was no limit. So they started coming over with pickups full of guys wow. in Wisconsin and trying to fill pickup beds full of perch and take them back. And they did for a couple of years. And then the state stepped in and said, whoa, no more of that. And they put a limit on the perch of 100. That's still a tall limit. (laughs) Wow. That's still a huge limit. Now it's down to, I don't know, 20 or 30, something like that, 20, somewhere. Here in in Illinois, it's 15 now, so which is a good thing. Yes, but perch are fun to catch. Absolutely. They're they're a member of of, uh, the same family. Well, walleye are members of the perch family. Perch family, correct. And Xander. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine is catching Xander over by uh, – 
Jamestown, North Dakota right now. Ice fishing. That's that's one of my bucket fish. I'm looking forward to that. I got relatives in Eastern Europe and my 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 a great great uncle, he's a big Xander fisherman there. I'm just trying to get there. We'll see. COVID kind of put a stop to that, but we'll see what happens when it's all said and done. If you can see your viewers and stuff right now, how many of them can you see? And of those you can see, how many of them have any idea what a Xander is? Well, we have 85 watching us at Live. this particular yep. time. But, babe, while we're waiting on them to answer whether they know what Xander is or not, we have a guy that needs a clarification. He would like you to let him know if they are pronounced crappy or crappie. Um, crappy is what I look like. After a good night of playing pool with the boys <laughs> next morning, <laughs> crappie is what the fish are. <laughs> what thank a you, great thank analogy! You, thank you for settling that for me, Mr. Winkleman. It's been an argument I have with these folks all day. <laughs> you go down to Louisiana and they call them sakala. Yes, sakala. You go in other places in America, they call them specks. Yep, I call them the very finest freshwater fish you can eat. I agree. I and totally we, agree. Have, we have black crappies up here mostly, which I prefer over whites. Um, but we have some white crappies as well. But we have great, great panfish fishing. And I do it all the time. I always have and I always will. I mean, my favorite thing to fish ice fishing are crappies and bluegills walking away. Yep, absolutely. I never go walleye fishing. Hardly ever go walleye fishing. Some in winter. It's almost always panfish. I never use a bobber. I'm using rods because they'll come up from the bottom. So many people don't, you know, part of it's our fault, guys. We tell people you bait your hook and this, that, and the other, and you throw it out there on a bobber or however you're going to, and you wait for a bite. Well, if they don't understand how a fish takes food, when you say wait for a bite, they're thinking, bite, bite, what's that? Like when your dog comes over and chomps on your foot or your mm -hmm. hand or something, is that a bite? That's what kind of thing forms into their mind because they can't think of anything else. And if we start with the basics, let's say my finger here, if you can see it, is a minnow. And my other one is going to be a fish. When this fish decides, when this minnow moves in the water, first off, Anything that moves in the water sends out a frequency. You cannot cut water. You cannot compress water. You can only divide water and separate it. So that's why when a person stands on shore and you throw a rock out there, uh, when it's a still day and way out as far as you can, you see it hit and go whoosh, and the ripples start coming. And if you watch, those ripples will come all the way to shore where you are, and they will continue and your vision going the other direction in the lake further than you can see. That happens on the surface, but as that rock goes all the way to the bottom, it does the exact same thing. And it moves water that in, through the entire water column. And fish have the ability through a sensory nervous system on the outside of their body to detect that movement. And they can home in on it. That's one of the ways that they find food is feeling the other thing swimming and so forth and getting themselves over in position. And then they have other abilities as well. Obviously, they can see and so forth. But they also did another study 
um, <laughs> there's so many studies where they blinded a northern uh, northern pike, walleyes, and largemouth bass, all three, severed their optic nerves, and find out that, found out they could feed just as effectively, completely blind, as they could with total eyesight. That was done years ago at the Berkeley Laboratories. Interesting. Uh, it's they have a lot of abilities, but you got to realize that's what happens. Everything that moves through the water sets up a pattern, and we've got to do that. Now, that doesn't mean though there when he's coming in, sees the minnow, he's over here and he's looking and he's thinking about coming in and he doesn't know and and that doesn't mean he's just going to swim over and go chomp. What you'll see, and today you can do that with the underwater cameras like the mm -hmm. Aquaview camera. Yep. Um, you can put it down and you can watch. Bluegills are probably the best at it. They can come up to a little tiny 132nd ounce jig with a waxworm on it. And you can they can be this close, just right almost touching, and go. They open their mouth and it disappears inside of them. And faster than you can blink, they blow it right back out. Your bobber didn't move. Nothing moved. But you can see them do it on the camera. Mm -hmm. They're taking the bait so many more times than people know because they're waiting for this frigging thing called a bite. <laughs> a bite happens however a fish gets a bait in their mouth. If your bait is here and that fish comes up from the bottom and he's moving when he does it, he goes, suck. What they do is open their mouth, inhale the food and the water around it into their mouth at the same time. Their gills underneath here open up and form two troughs and the water shoots out of them and they keep the food trapped inside their mouth. And they can turn around and blow it out that fast as well. Um, so if he's coming up like this, the only way is to sense a feeling of weightlessness as he comes up off of the bottom. They're coming straight on and swim away, that's easy. But when they're doing those other things, which they do so often, mm -hmm. that's the difference between catching a lot and not. People are waiting for the wrong thing because they don't know better. And shame on us for not doing a better job. And, and a lot of them are getting it. And, and I mean, we've, we've helped millions of families who've raised their, just like you guys, raised their families after me and my five daughters and, and so forth. And we did it for that reason. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, a lot of people doesn't teach um, people about those kind of things because they was never taught and they never really understand it, how that work either. Exactly. Exactly. So we're not at fault for doing anything wrong. We're at fault um, if there is such a thing that that way towards us. We, we're not at fault because we're all trying to do the same thing. We know that how great this, the outdoors are, and yep. they would be. We would have a better society if everybody in the United States spent time fishing, hunting, walking trails, but in the outdoors and getting a grip on God's greatest creation. Amen. Yes, sir. Period. I agree. I agree. We would be, have a better country. Yep. Um. But that being said. Let's go back to these folks. Yes, you're right. They need to be taught that truth. Fish come to something. And the guy said one time I was telling him at a seminar about this and showing fish on underwater. We have video. <laughs> we got video of a, a walleye that's a little over 10 pounds. 
it inhales the shiner that's about seven inches or um, seven to eight inches, seven and a half inches maybe in length. And it just comes up and we can put it down to slow motion. You can see the mouth open like this. And then the shiner just like his body crumples and goes sideways into the fish's mouth and disappears totally. And then you run at real speed and it happens in a fraction of a second. second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when he does this and we do it in slow motion, you can see the girl gills flare down here. And not only is the water shooting out, but two streams of solid scales from that minnow are shooting out at the same time. It's, it's remarkable to see it. Um, but that's how they do it. That's their deal. So are you saying that when they inhale them fish, they knock the scales off of them? I'm saying that one particular 10-pound walleye with that one shiner where we had them in photoperfect glass and in uh, a huge aquarium I used to have and would film, that's exactly what happened. And wow. We, I can give it to you super close up, I mean, sharper than hell. We've so, got a lot, lot of underwater footage of stuff. I have been intrigued with the gentleman that we had on our show last week, Kyle Tyree, that does a lot of underwater filming for panfish. He's He catches a lot of bluegill and crappie and stuff up in Wisconsin. And I am blown away with how he jigs them, and you can just watch them fish grab that and stuff. But the fish that he's catching aren't big enough to do what you're talking about. If I could figure out a way to do that with catfish inhaling bluegill and perch and some stuff that, that they eat, but our water down here probably is a little bit too murky. But, man, what what great a video that would make. It does. Yeah, it's I, this guy, he, he does some wonderful things. He's called the Wisconsin Fisherman, and I'm sure that you're aware of him, but um, – he has one of those underwater cameras, and he's got crystal clear water. And and if he comes out with one, I'm watching just simply so I can watch the fish. Watch take the the bite. And I'm telling mm -hmm. you, I think that I have become uh, more aware of what fish are looking for by watching how they the fish that he's catching approach the bait. I think they're going to make me a better fisherman. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, the more that people can understand about that, the better. I agree. Um, you know it. We're and we're off. We're off the trail here of panfish. Yes. Um, so do we want to get? That never back, happens. <laughs> do we want to get back to the trail of panfish, or Absolutely. do we want to look at? Okay, spring is going to come. What's going to be happening? I think that's a good idea, Lyle. Don't you? I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm. I'm good for it. Yeah, panfish is all part of that that whole food chain too. So uh, that that's what a lot of our people are looking Absolutely. for. So we we can definitely learn what's going to happen this spring, and and maybe the people out there can apply that to the type of fishing they're using. But uh, definitely, we're we're interested in that, babe. Well, it, it the principles are the same. The fish don't know where they live. Yep. They just adapt with what they're given. All right, and they don't have a choice in that either. They're guided by instinct. Um, but right now, I mean, for example, all of our panfish fishermen, they're driving onto lakes up here with big suburbans, pulling ice castles and all kinds of stuff. We've got a, quite a bit of ice. It's been colder than hell. Um, but it's good ice now because we needed that cold spell. This is the warmest winter I've ever went through in Minnesota. Um, 
what's happening for those folks right now is a whole different thing. A lot of those panfish, bluegills, as well as crappies, go on edges, but edges of the big basin, the big deep basins of the lake. Sometimes you'll find crappies down 40, 50 feet or more when it gets to winter. Um, bluegills, I've never caught them as deep as 50 feet, but I've certainly caught them as deep as 40. They go on those edges sometimes, and then they'll move up sometimes and get closer to a weed line. A lot of it, this depends upon weather and what's happening with the rest of the food chain, because everything is, is opportunity. This happens all of a sudden today is a bright sunny day. And there's not a lot of snow in the lake. That sunshine gets down, it's making a lot more phytoplankton today than it is on the days when it's cloudy. So on those days, more zooplankton come off of the bottom to feed on the phytoplankton, more minnows come up to feed on the zooplankton, and more game fish come up to feed on them. And I've many times caught crappies within six inches under the ice when it's 30 feet deep. Because wow. the only place they could get at the food was right on top where it, that's the, where the opportunity was happening. The, the guys without the ice don't have those things to deal with, but the principles they do have to deal with the same. The same. Let's look at first the principle of water. Water is heaviest or densest at 39.14 degrees. For talking purposes, let's just say 40 degrees. Okay. Any water colder than that is lighter by weight and it floats, which is why the ice forms only on the surface of the lake in winter. And if you drop a thermometer below the ice, you'll find out that it'll have to go down 10 or 11 inches. The first 10 or 11 inches, the water will be 32 degrees, but it'll still be water. And before you get to 12 inches, it'll uh, shift to 33 degrees. And it go, will go down once the lake, you hear about lake turnovers. Well, that, that's not one occurrence that happens in fall. Once it starts, it keeps on rolling and rolling and rolling for a few months until the lake gets completely homogenized. And secondly, it gets to the point where all of the water on the bottom of the lake is 40 degrees. So now it sits like that all winter. That's the warmest the water is, is this stuff way down here. Some cases with depths, uh, maybe they have the ability for it to, but it, it they can't because it, uh, the properties of it would go through any water that was not, mm -hmm. well, was lighter by weight. So at 40 degrees is maximum of what the water can get to. Um, and that's the same then with the stirring after the, the turnover, it's the same then with uh, the oxygen for a period of time um, after that happens. And then it keeps rolling and fish set up and do different things. They'll, they go on feed bags. They'll come back in the bays. They'll, they're going to do exactly what the deer do every fall. They feed for three different reasons a fish does or a deer. They feed to sustain life. They feed to fatten. And they feed to grow. For a fish, growth starts once they finish spawning, and then they go into the next number of months uh, up here in summer. They capitalize on every food source as it's happening. Mm -hmm. The fleas are hatching, something's eating them, get over there. The crayfish are molting, get over there. The frogs are out, get over. They, 
all of it gets consumed, snails, you name it. Um, and and the crop, and, and as different crops come up, they move around to capitalize. So we gotta understand that's what they do. They're opportunists, they're looking for. They keep on moving so much, you can't believe it. They don't just, so many guys say, well, goddamn, they were here yesterday, they gotta be here now, right? <laughs> yep, absolutely. No. <laughs> As long as we're talking about it, let me give you a classic example of that. But this is um, on a walleye that was tagged in the Tittabawassee River in Michigan with a tag by the DNR. It swam out of the Tittabawassee River up to Saginaw River, got into Saginaw Bay, swam all the way across Saginaw Bay, down the thumb of Lake Huron, down the Huron River, across Lake St. Clair, down the Detroit River, and across the western basin of Lake Erie in 51 hours and 256 miles further downstream, um, it was caught in the river in Maumee, Ohio, by a guy jig fishing in the Maumee River there. Wow. 256 miles and 51 hours. We shake our head because, boy, we can't do that. A fish wags his tail, and they average five miles an hour. A walleye just moves along, and he can average five miles an hour and do it indefinitely. It's like a dog uh, with a light trot. You run that dog wide open, you'll play him out. You run a fish wide open, you'll play him out too. But they time it, and all of them do this. They have the ability to go, He that fish was going back where it was born. Most, about 70% of every species, that's what happens. As near as I can figure out, that would be the, if I had to give a percentage, that would be it. And about 30% of them are trying new things and looking for new opportunities mm -hmm. as rivers and their homes change, the foods change, the evasives come in, or et cetera. And it's all instinctual, right? It's not like they're conscious about what they're doing. They just know they're looking for what they their their ideal conditions, whether it's feeding and surrounding, correct? Which causes them to travel so far, or am I mistaken? No, you're not mistaken at all. Okay. God built on when God built Earth and everything that's here, He built it perfectly as a perfectly, totally sustainable ecosystem all the way around. Every great blade of grass, every tree sapling, every young bird, every human, every animal body is built that by the food that they ingest, the air that they breathe, and the water that they drink, they get the nutrients necessary to give good health to their body and build it. So they instinctively seek out the right things to do that. Mm -hmm. Um they can't necessarily think about it either. We as humans look at it completely different. Different. The principle is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. We've got to have X amount. Um, so they'll fish keep on moving until it's right, until they can find it. They don't, so do deer. Take this food source away, they're going someplace, they'll find it. You know? Um, so it's, it's important that they understand that too. That okay, you had, you had mentioned when we talked earlier about learning to, to hunt fish, whether the species is catfish or, or bluegill or, or, or any panfish in general, how do you incorporate that knowledge that you, you just, you know, explained to us into doing so? Well, to understand 
how to put a thousand piece puzzle together. Mm -hmm. You want to see a picture of the outside of the box to see what the damn thing's going to look like. Look like right. <laughs> you need to have the whole picture in mind or you'll drive yourself insane on the individual pieces. And the same is true when you go hunting fish or you go hunting deer, you need to look at and study the environment that you're going at. Mm -hmm. um, you can classify lakes or do all kinds of things, but the fact of the matter is whatever the lake you're fishing today has to offer the fish is what they've got to work with. So let's look for things. Now, if you go in the winter, right after a fresh snow a couple of days and go out and walk through the woods, you'll notice that almost all critters follow trails almost all the time. Right. And if you look a little closer than that, you'll find that those trails are usually close to edges, close to a field, close to a fence line, close to where it changes from trees to brush or edges of a swamp or other things. All creatures are edge creatures. They know their environment. I mean, they know where they live and they know everything about it. Mm -hmm. They're not stupid. They're very intelligent. Um, but they're guided by instincts and how they move through there is done by instinct as well. You know, those travel routes that the critters take suit their purposes best to go that way, which is why they're established in the first place. Fish have exactly the same things. Okay. A big point sticking out of the water or down under the water. All right. Let's say that we're going up the point here gradually and we get halfway up about to where my wedding ring is here and the sand and the clay that was down here changes to rock. It's an edge. Now let's say that this whole thing is rock. But on these rocks over here are three great big boulders. Each one of them established a set of edges. Um, you want to find those spots on a spot like that. You find this rock point, find those big boulders, find the big boulders like that, the edges that have the quickest escape route to deep water, and you will find the spot where big fish are contacting this food shelf. Other fish may come up in other places, but the big fish will seek out that if it's there. If it's not, they'll do what they have to to get it to food. So you learn things about how they position themselves and how they place themselves, and you start working. Mm -hmm. You don't start with a bait in mind. If you're going out um, panfish fishing and it's in the middle of summer, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to look on weed edges. We may look and find the bigger fish up inside of the weeds, shallower. We may find them in pockets within thick weeds. We may find them suspended outside of the weeds on the edge, or we may find them where the weeds stop growing in the water down under and where that weed stop growing forms another edge and they'll move on the way down there. And from there, it'll structure will take over. Structure is the bottom, the shape of it and so forth. Cover is whatever sits on top of it. Okay. Those big boulders are forming edges, but they're actually kind of cover the way they work. They're like a weed bed. Gotcha. So they need to look at the things that way and think, okay, the shoreline goes down like this and it curves. Obviously, the deep water changes. If I go along this shoreline, let's say that I'm looking for uh, the deep water, the uh, um, 
weed, deep water weed line is like 13 feet. All right, so I set my boat up and I position. I might position over here today in 20 feet of water or 25 feet of water, and I'll use side scanning, and I'll drive that whole thing, and I'll see any ridges that are there. I will see isolated boulders that are there. I will see the schools of fish going along the edge. Today, it's easy. Yeah, it is. Today, with the, the, the electronics that are out and available to people, make hunting fish a thousand or more times easier than it has ever been for all their predecessors who fished. I started what before sonar was made. I found edges by taking one gallon Hylix bleach bottles and tying 15 feet of twine string to them and then tying a rock or a bolt on the other end and the lake where my dad had a cabin on. Um, on a windy day, I would go across the lake and I'd throw out one of those bleach bottles about every 100, 150 feet or 200 feet, whatever, and try and scatter them all across the lake. And then the waves would take them in and they would hang up on the shoreline edges. Some places I found points that I didn't know were there. Um, you know, there was no sonar. There was no way to find those things then. Uh -huh. But I found islands out in the middle of the lake that we had no comprehension. No one had ever fished them. But now I had them marked out. And then by starting to work around them with a boat, I could I would take a heavy piece of metal on the end of a piece of string and I would go on the outside of the weeds of a, an island out there and I would lift it up and down and find where there were rocks or gravel opposed to muck and weeds. And I would find those edges and I would mark them with marker boys and drop them. And then I'd fish them and catch the hell out of them. And then I'd pull my stuff up and get out of there. But it's, it's taking all of those things to hunt with. Today, like I said, with side imaging, down imaging, all of the, the live scope stuff, the different things that exist, mm -hmm. Um, Johnson Worldwide with Minn Kota is just coming out with some new technology this spring that's going to be unbelievable. It's, it's cool. I'm it's, looking forward to checking that out. I'm in the market for some new electronics, and I'm kind of waiting to see what happens with all that. Um, it changes everything. It does. I agree. Sometimes I feel guilty about it, though, babe. Sometimes, you know, it's too easy to find that structure that we're looking for and stuff. And especially after hearing the story about how you, what you went through to, to find it when, when you were doing it with the bleach bottles and, and relying on the wind and the waves at the lakes and stuff. So. Well, you got to do what you got to do. And back then, sonar hadn't been invented. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't know how deep it was where we were fishing. Right. Get up. Dad would say, the early bird gets the worm. Dad always had those sayings. A zillion of them. So we were up way before daylight. We'd get out on the lake. We'd take a little Joe Canadian jig fly, either bumblebee color, which was yellow and black, or blue and white. One of us would use one, and one would use the other one. We'd hook a sucker minnow on the back, go to the lake, to the side that the wind was blowing from, and drift across the lake, and hope to hell that we caught some walleyes. Uh -huh. And Dad said the walleyes only bite early in the morning because they got these weird eyeballs, and if they get close to the sunlight, it blinds them. That was the belief back those days. Yep. Just an hour, hour and a half a morning, and then you didn't fish again until evening. Um, I later found out that that was a bunch of crap, too. Yeah, I heard that same story from the, from some of the men that, that took me walleye fishing very early <laughs> on in life. So it definitely rings a bell with me. <laughs> I have caught walleyes in water as clear as vodka. Mm -hmm. 
where I could see them big fish down 10, 15 feet, watch them swim over and eat my bait in the middle of the day. I've caught so many walleyes that have watched them eat the bait, doing it at times when nobody was out fishing. Very interesting. That's so, um, it's it's uh, they do a lot of different things, and I keep studying and studying and learning and learning and trying my best to pass it on. Speaking of which, we get a lot of people asking, and uh, maybe you guys can help me share this. Asking where are our shows these days because they've been watching them on television for forty years. Absolutely. Well, the answer is is we are no longer on television, but what we are on. And it's the international launch is going to happen within the next two weeks. And America and, and a whole bunch of the rest of the world will know about it. But we're on a website or a site. It's called Get Outdoors TV. Um, and the way to access it is lowcase letters, getoutdoorstv.com. Maybe you guys can put that on. We'll, we'll, we'll have somebody in chat uh, look that up real quick. we got some really good mods out there. They'll be able to post that link up for everybody to go and Absolutely. subscribe and check okay. it out. So, um, When they get there, they'll be inside of the GOTV site that lives on a huge site called Maven. I told you about that a little earlier. Yes, you sir. did a little bit, yes. And uh, it will reach internationally. So it'll be on billions of, of uh, TV sets and and anything streaming here um that once they start going live there with this launch now they're going to start driving people to it we have perfected it too often i've seen people or companies they got a new product coming out they get so excited about it they launch the damn thing and get on out there before it's quite ready and then it gets out there and it's they're having problems and now the word gets out about them and it kills them very cool. I, I see the link's been shared out already. Thank you, Chad, for sharing that. So we'll get that out there and make sure everybody checks out that website for uh, Mr. Winkleman and us. We'd appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Well, yeah, there's about 50 producers there. You guys probably remember um, Marty Stouffer with Wild America. Mm -hmm. yes, All of his programs he ever produced are on Get Outdoor TV as well. And 48 other producers, all kinds of different things. Wow. Shooting instruction from the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Um on down to you name it. That's uh, exciting. I'm, I'm anxious to check that out. The nice thing about it is this. Uh, two, two or three nice things about it. Um, in the last nine or ten years, I know I've received several thousand requests from people to buy DVDs of our old shows or DVDs of series of our shows in the past. These were from the baby boomers who first got the word that I was teaching fishing and that endeared them to our show. And then they liked what we were doing. And I reached out to them and said, help me do this. I don't know much about television. What do you want? What don't you want? What do you like? What don't you like? What are your turn offs? your turn on? What would you like to see most? And, and et cetera. And I, for 40 years, I have worked back and forth with our audience and our audience has built our show into what you guys have been watching. Um, it is now on the streaming video. We will have, it was always with television. You had one time slot. Like you said earlier, Mark, nine o'clock Saturday morning, WTN. Yep. Yes, sir. But if you were tied up Saturday morning, you were screwed. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, until until VCRs came out with timers, because I used to record you. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> there are a lot of people that did, and I encourage it. I mean, more power to them. But these people wanted those shows, and they told me specifically they were the baby boomers. They've now raised their families exactly as we did. All of their kids are fishing and hunting and loving it. And now they're starting and building and developing their grandkids as their family is, is growing their own families. Yep. They want to get all three generations together and spend a couple of hours binge watching three, four, five of our shows. And then all sit down and talk together and get the grandkids all pumped. And they want to do it on the same shows that got them so excited. So the first thing we're doing, there's 130 shows up or should be, 2013 is going up right now. I don't know if it's done or not. I haven't looked today. Um, but it'll be up very shortly if it's not up. But there's a 130 shows right now, and we will have somewhere between 800 and 900 of them up wow. when it's done. And those will all be as far back as we can take it. Once that is done, then I will start producing new shows. I've got a whole series of Good Fishing and Outdoor Secrets shot and waiting to be edited right now to go on, but this has got to be done first. That's super excited. I can't wait to see the oh. before, and I can't wait to see the new stuff. That's, That's right. Here's the, here's the good part, guys. This is 100% totally free to any viewer, any of our fans. It's completely free. Um, no nothing, just free. It is available seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and it will never be taken down. Wow. That's awesome. So now you can go back and when you go to uh, get outdoors TV, it'll say topics. You click on that and it'll say fishing, hunting, wildlife, viewing, whatever. Click on either fishing or hunting and you get our show. Click on it again. It enlarges. You can scroll down and you can see right now your 2017, 2016, 2015, 2014, and 2013. Now you click on one of those years and here's the 13 shows of good fishing for you 2014, for example. And here's a little outline of what each show is about. You click on whatever you want, you watch it. That's Perfect. outstanding. It's, it's such a better service, particularly in today's lifestyle that we are now dealt. People don't have time to watch a certain program at a certain time when it's during the day. They're busy. That's right. I mean, my daughter McKenzie's got her own cleaning business. Then she's got four kids and she's having to homeschool and she's got to run her business and her husband works construction. And then she's going to be a mom and, and do everything else too, you know? That's right. And, and that's the way the world has, has put it, the, the way it has been for years that, um, you know, when I grew up, my mom didn't work. Most women didn't work, but now it's a necessity. They have to, they can't really survive unless both, uh, parents are working and and uh, whether they be like your daughter and have a business of their own or whether they go out to get a job and, and then you got to rely on babysitters and this and they didn't leave time to watch shows like we watched on Saturday mornings. I mean, there's just no time. It's, this way you can watch them whenever it's convenient for you and that is a home run all the way around. And you can watch it with friends. You can have a group of people over in tonight and watch a couple of shows together, fishing buddies or whatever the hell, and yep. pick up any topic you want to. Out of 900 shows, I'm going to guarantee you how, no matter how avid of fans you are, 
you will find that you missed more shows than you probably got. I don't doubt that. Absolutely. I, I will agree with that. Yeah. Or even ones that you've forgotten because you've watched so many, you got to go back and watch them again. Oh, All the time I'm I so do that. excited about this. I haven't forgotten them. I could look at the show. And then I could tell you what was going to happen. Before. I don't. I don't doubt that whatsoever. <laughs> I'd rather you didn't spoil it for me because I liked watching those. So. I lived it, man. <laughs> quite, quite the life you've had too, Mister Wickham, and you've been a very it, big it inspiration. It, um, you know, I told you, I told you that it was, it was like watching my family grow up with your family because my kids, somewhat the same age as as some of your kids, um, but. You know, they they just, you know, if Babe Winkleman was on, it was like Bill Dance or some of the other guys. They had their favorites, but they sat there and they would watch them all with me. Now, I worked and had, had a business, so we would record them, and the boys and I would sit there and watch them in the evenings. When, when, I, when you know, after the sun went down, we got all our stuff done. Then we'd come in and we'd watch a bunch of fishing shows or, or hunting shows or whatever the case was. I have one son that's really interested in hunting. The other's really interested in fishing, but they both hunt and fish. So we could sit there and have family time together and get that. And now they're going to be able to do it no matter what hours of the day the parents work. They still will have time to do that just by going to your this uh, channel thing that you told us about. And they can see any of the, the greats that they've not seen or even the ones that they'd forgot about and they could rewatch them. That's outstanding. You know, how many times have you watched the outlaw Josie Wales? Oh, <laughs> I just watched it like a month ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Some yeah. of those things are classics. Right. And not trying to pat ourselves on the back here, but we have a bunch of classics. Yes, you do. I we don't doubt that. A bunch of really, really, really classic shows that we've filmed over the years. I agree. We keep no. touching bases on, on family and the importance of fishing and how you bring them up and stuff, but I just want to um, know there's a gentleman out in chat uh, named James Dockery who helps a lot of uh, children who don't have that uh, opportunity, uh, and he goes to great lengths to, to take them fishing. He, he lives in Missouri. He works He works for the Missouri uh, uh, Conservation he helps Department, him, yeah. correct? Yep. Yeah. He does a great job. So uh, if, if you're not involved with something like that, people in chat uh, – Please do so. Um, we, we talk really fondly of our memories and the ones we're passing on. We want to make sure we don't forget people that, that need that in their lives as well. Uh, and I don't think anybody would disagree that it would make them a better person and give them a better outlook in life when they're having hard times. That's right. Well, and, you know, another thing, people don't necessarily go to their DNRs enough and find out, hey, we just decided to become a family, uh, fishing family last year. What programs that you do you have that can help us? Mm -hmm. What things do you know about? There are things out there. Absolutely. They need to take the initiative to find them. The things are not going to find them. They need mm -hmm. to right. find the things. That, that's exactly right. And and there's there is I know in my state of Missouri, and I'm sure it's in a lot of others. There is so many things that the Missouri Department of Conservation offers to people that are starting out fishing or they're starting out hunting or they're starting out trapping or whatever the case may be. Um, we have one of the uh, places called Bodark here um, close to me. Uh, I used to take my kids there. They offer youth 
dove hunts and youth fishing things in some of their ponds. They have instructors that come down and teach them how to trap shoot, teach them how to shoot rifles, teach them how to do archery. They have an archery range, a trap shoot range, and a rifle range set up right there. And they will put, they give the conservation stuff for where kids can pass the conservation test to be allowed to hunt and fish and all that stuff. It's all in one deal. It's all funded by the Department of Conservation. It's a great facility. Um, I, you know, things like that are way better than a lot of the other things. Uh, your, your hunting and fishing license are a tax, in my mind, and uh, this is what tax money should be headed to. Stuff like this to preserve hunting and fishing uh, for our kids and grandkids and their grandkids. You know, want to want to know something that's sad? There are millions of young people in the United States of America, as we talk right now, that have never seen a green blade of grass. That's right. Mm -hmm. Not a green blade of grass. Skateboarding was started in inner cities and in project areas because there was no playgrounds. There was no place to play. They come up with the skateboarding thing and they could roll down sidewalks. Pretty soon they were rolling down banisters and, and railings on stairways and all kinds of stuff. And a sport that was born out of boredom and lack of any other opportunity is now part of the Olympics. Yes. You know, because, but how sad is it that they've not ever seen a green blade of grass, much less have any comprehension of what, the earth is all about why we should with the food of the earth is part of our food as well vegetable we're omnivore we got to do both you know other things are not like that no now people say well you got to be a vegetarian there are vegetables or there are plants out there that do nothing but eat animals there are plants that mm -hmm. are carnivores the venus flytrap is just one example of that uh, but there's numerous ones throughout the world so no god made predators he made carnivores, vegetarians, and omnivores. That's the three classifications. You fit into one of the three. Speaking of vegetarians and consuming things, we have a chat, a person in chat, Two Stance Fishing, uh, said, let's not forget about Chris Winkleman and her cooking on your shows. Oh, boy. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I've seen so many catch and cook videos out now, and I'll tell you what, I can't remember anybody that done it before you and her, so mega kudos to that. So he wanted to make sure that we gave Chris some credit. Nobody did, and that came from directly from her audience. Two years after we uh, had the show on the air, our audience said, my God, we're catching fish like we never dreamed we possibly could. Can you show us some way to eat these damn things other than deep fried? <laughs> does your wife cook? <laughs> um, well, that, the one I had at that job. time didn't particularly, but a lot of my guys did. Mm -hmm. uh, we just wound up with a bunch of guys that do the cooking in their households. So we gave my ex uh, the recipes, and we'd film her doing them and put them out first. And mm -hmm. then her and I parted ways, and Chrissy and I met 30-some years ago. And uh, it's been Chrissy ever since. Well, and then yeah. she is gifted by God. Yes, she She's is. Done a great I job with cooking her goal, shows. Her goal with the, with the recipes is this. She's my wife in our home, cooking up stuff we've either caught or shot and brought home to eat. How can she make this easy 
and make it so you already have about everything in your kitchen already to make any recipe that I show you. I'm not a gourmet. I don't want to be gourmet. That's not what I'm teaching. I'm teaching you how to take wild game fish and all mushrooms and everything else and turn it into great tasting food for your family. And I'm going to keep it simple and I'm going to keep it so you can do it and you don't have to just go spend a bunch of money trying to be fancy. And Always that's what people love about it. Yep. Always relatable to your viewers, which is why everybody loved it so much. That's exactly right. By, by the way, I've only been asked this about a million times. This is my coffee cup. <laughs> a little, uh, I think, southern butter pecan creamer in it right at the moment. It's very nice. Southern butter pecan. I've that not sounds heard good. I'm going to have to get me some of that. It does sound good. It is. We've been going on about an hour here, babe. Would would you entertain answering some questions for some people in chat? Uh, I got to ask you, you know, and, and these these guys that are in chat are are really enjoying the show. Is there a chance in hell we can get you back on here do this again in the future? Sure, because we have we have enjoyed this so much, and the people. I have. There's no way we're going to be able to get all these questions answered, but if you'll touch on a few of these, I know there were so many of them that were running through. I told the guys to wait towards the end of the show, and we get you to answer some of them. Yeah, try and get the most rele relevant ones if you can. I, I, I will do my best. All so, right, okay, guys, now's the time to run them them uh, questions through, and let's see uh, what we got. The Creole catfishing, has Babe ever fished in the state of Louisiana? Yes. Very good. Uh, somebody asked a while ago, what was your favorite pan fish? I'm not sure. It may have been Sonny Parker. Um, crappie. I, I had a feeling that would be the but, I mean, um, The margin between crappie and bluegill is very, very thin. But yes. crappie would be my number one. Okay. Um, that's simple. Jim uh, Catman Outdoors Adventures wants to know, is there a genetic difference in white and black crappie, or is it just the color difference? Um, I don't know that the answer to that exactly about the genetics. Okay. Um, I'm, I know that they're different distinct species, and there's more species than just black and white ones. I did a film one time down in Arkansas on Norfolk Lake, and we caught... A type of crappie down there, I've never seen anything colored like it. Under its here in its gills, it has two big black stripes going down. Um, never before or since. And we caught a bunch of them that way. Mm -hmm. um, there's hybrids, I assume, out there. I don't know. But exactly how many species and if they're genetically different, I assume that, yes, they are genetically different. Because there's the shape of a white and a black are different. The whites are longer. Uh, maybe a little bigger mouth on a smaller one, mm. but they're not as thick, and they don't get as deep as a rule as the the blacks do. Okay, I think uh, I got a good question from uh, Fishing Texomaland. He says, "Is this is right up your alley? Is sawgye fishing similar to walleye fishing?" Yes, a sawgye is a cross between a sauger and a walleye. They're both members of the perch family. They will feed and bite and do things about the same way. And a lot of your southern reservoirs um, that have walleye in them, I don't know how close you can get up and fish to the dams, but in spring, those walleyes are going to head up 
out of the reservoirs and head up into places in that river going up to that dam where they can spawn. And that's where you'll find them and you can catch uh, sawgai there and walleyes simultaneously. Very nice. Ohio catfishers, catfish chasers wants to know what's your personal best size crappie? I've never caught one that uh, I officially weighed that went over three pounds. I've caught them that have, uh, have officially weighed two pounds, 15 ounces. And I've lost two fish that I know of that had to be at least three and a half pounds. But officially, the biggest one I've ever caught is two pounds, 15 ounces. That's a giant. That's a big fish. We, they're still like, it's hard to find uh, lakes around anymore that still have two pound crappies, but they exist. And two and a half pound crappies. Them is just them are just studs. They really are. Uh, Justin Fish and Fetish says he would like to know whether if you prefer braid or mono when you're fishing for panfish. Um, mono. I don't yep. think there's any reason for braid when it comes to um, panfish. They're they're not particularly abrasive on the line. Um, to me, a nice supple mono like if I'm fishing crappies, usually six pound. Uh, mm -hmm. a, a light thin line and uh i like the suppleness i like see like when i'm ice fishing for example i don't use a bobber i use a um a st croix ice fishing rod of 42 incher love a, mine yep okay and i'm i'm moving that tip just waving the tip so slowly like so a little bit but i'm watching the line right about this much of the line above the water and if that gets the tiniest little bend in it, I set the hook because he came up from the bottom and I couldn't feel him. So, wow. I mean, it, depending upon what you got to do is what you do. And when they're feeding real, real light like that, that's the trick that makes all the difference in the world. Okay. Now, on the bobber, they won't even move that bobber when they're sitting there messing with your bait a lot of times. If you got a minnow on, yeah, then the minnow might get excited because something's looking at it. Epic Catfishing says, this isn't a question, but a comment. And he says that you have a spot on his boat with your name on it anytime you want to go. <laughs> I think that we all kind of feel that way. <laughs> I, would, I would agree. Betty Jean says, what's the difference in techniques for style of fishing for panfish in lakes versus rivers? Well, a lot of the lures you use will be similar or can be similar, but in rivers you're dealing with current and the current forms edges. A rock on the bottom forms edges. And if this is a rock on the bottom, when the water comes, it doesn't hit the rock. There's water in front of that rock. So when the current comes along, it hits the water in front of the rock and the current is deflected like you see at an angle, it comes up to the surface, it hits the air, and then that's what causes the boil on the surface, and the current goes back down again. So it creates one nice rock can create a real nice little haven there. A few of them are a little wing dam can do wonderful things. Um, 
always it's it's the river portion you're looking for edges but in rivers here's what else you have the mississippi further south on the wisconsin border i've got a incredible amounts of uh uh panfish down there in lake on alaska and where they're catching a lot of those are in secondary channels and secondary currents where the currents are not real heavy if you're dealing with smaller rivers or streams you will find that if you look hard enough there are deep pools there are sections with little bays and pockets and other things that are different than the rest of the river and that's where you want to start your look because for the panfish to be sitting right in the middle of the current unless there's some specific thing happening right then with food why should they waste the energy if they don't have to i agree 100 percent with that they go to areas where they don't have to I agree. Um, I just had, oh, what is your favorite water in the States to fish for giant pike? In the States? In the States. You're thinking Canada, aren't you, babe? <laughs> right away. <laughs> I, I've had a big pike quest for so many years, I can't tell you. My biggest pike is 54 and a half inches long. Wow. And the wow. biggest replica you can get made is 52 and a half inches long. <laughs> it, from the tip of his nose to the back of his gill was 14 and a quarter inches. What? That's the biggest friggin' head was. Oh, wow. And how about your biggest muskie? That's a question I for me. On film. My biggest muskie is one inch uh, shorter. The what pike was 54 and a half inches. My yeah. biggest muskie to date is 53 and a half. Do you mind if I ask where you got that muskie? Um, not a problem. The French River off of uh, Georgian Bay. Okay. On the north side of Lake Ontario or Lake uh, Huron. Justin Fish and Fetish. That guy that's looking for pike. Minnesota's got a bunch of big pike in, in Lake here. The northern half is, is better. Um, there's big pike in uh, the Missouri River system. All the way up in, in through South Dakota, North Dakota, on up into Fort Peck, Montana. Um, if you go on to Idaho, you'll find a lake called Coeur d'Alene. And there's huge gargantuan pike in there. The, the DNR out there has been trying to get them out for years because they eat all the kokanee salmon. And I mean, I've seen a 40-inch uh, or 42-inch fish that officially weighed 39 pounds, 15 ounces that was caught there. I mean, there's some giants there. Would I go there for a pike fishing trip? No. But if you're looking for a chance at something that you're not going to get a chance at in almost any place you go for big pike, that might be a sleeper that you want to take a look at. And I'd get there early spring when the ice goes so you can find those fish up in the bays to spawn because they're still going to come then. Other than that, they're going to be deep, and that's going to be a whole difficult battle or different battle to get them. You can catch them, but... It's going to be a different thing. Justin Fish and Fetish wants to know, where is your all-time favorite place to catch crappie? Well, it was Red Lake in Minnesota. Uh, Red Lake is part of the Red Lake uh, Indian Reservation. There's Upper and Lower Red Lake. The two of them together are, I think, 430,000 acres. The Lower Lake is totally in the reservation. And the upper lake, the uh, western two-thirds of it is in the reservation. The other one-third of upper red um, can be fished by white folks as well. 
Well, it was an incredible walleye fishery. And uh, ironically, my construction company built their fishery uh, building up there in the early 70s, in 71 and 72. And they started commercially fishing Red Lake and in processing the, the fish and selling them. Um, well, what went from the first year they had 60 operators that didn't know have the friggin' uh, slightest idea what they were doing. I said 60. They had 40 operators the first year that didn't know what they're doing or have the right equipment. And they netted 2 million pounds of walleyes. Oh, wow. The last year they were able to net. They had 600 professional operators. And for the entire year, they netted 14,000 pounds of walleyes. And then the tribe said, okay, we have to stop. They cleaned out the whole damn thing. Yeah. Um, while they were doing that, the crappies started flirts because the walleyes were eating the hell out of the little crappies. Mm -hmm. um, a few years after it happened, all the resorts went bankrupt when they when they had to close down walleye fishing there. The DNR closed it down for on the Minnesota side and the tribe closed it down on the Indian side. And then they had to come together on new regulations for going forward and blah, blah, blah. A guy whose parents owned a resort there called Hudex, Donnie Hudek called me one day, and he knows from watching our shows I love crappies so much. Um, so he called me. By their resort, his mother still was alive, and she lived in the house. His father had died, and she had a little building there that she sold pizzas and minnows and candy bars and shit in. And beer, and if you knew her real well, underneath the bar there, you could slip out a bottle of something better than beer. Um, <laughs> he come home to, place. He, he come home to see his mom for Memorial Day weekend, and there was fish swirling in, in their little boat canal. So he rigged up a bobber and hook and so forth, and he caught some great big crappies. Well, he thought of me, so he got in touch with me, and he said, this is what happened. He said, can you come up right away? I said, no, I can't. I said, I could be up maybe by next weekend. Um, okay. So we agreed to meet there on a Friday afternoon. Uh, he worked as a body sh uh, shop guy in Badette. We got there, put in, there was no fish in the boat canal at all. I said, well, they just came in for an early spring movement. They went out back in the, back out in the lake. Um, we go into the cabin. Nobody lived in it for going on eight years. It was full of mouse shit and and ratchet and chewings and we spent the entire day just cleaning cabins so the crew and, and um, my daughter was three and a half or four and a half at the time something like that young three and a half I think and then we had the, the camera guys and my wife and I so we went out the next morning and I kept cruising and looking and looking all of that whole basin is shallow the deepest portion of the section white men can fish is 14 or 14 and a half feet and it's mud. Around the edges, I was going one area with six feet, six feet and, and moderate bottom, mostly mud and all of a sudden it came up to four feet and got hard. And I threw a marker on it as I was passing it. We turned around and went back, rigged up. I cast it over there and instantly had a bite. In two and a half hours, we caught 200, 250 crappies. As fast as we could possibly catch them. We kept 24 of them that were over two pounds 
The biggest were over two and three quarter pounds. And we brought them back and I gave them to my friend who's a taxidermist. And I said, I want you to mount 15 of these. I don't care if they're the biggest or not, the prettiest you have, and put them on a gold little Joe Stringer. I've always wanted that mount and it now sits in the entranceway of my home. And that was crazy what happened. When those show, I then I did another one ice fishing there. And when those shows aired, I mean, people came the next year from 32 different states to fish crappies there. And there was millions of them. Nobody had been after them on a lake this size. And they came to the this end to do a lot of the spawning. So boy, there was a whole busload of guys. They chartered a bus from Louisiana and came all the way up there just to fish crappies. Wow. It was amazing. Michael Marillo said, what is your best advice to help me guide, teach uh, my two young girl daughters to fish? Inspiration by you and they together having fun doing it. There you go. Go out, take them out on a fishing experience. Make sure it's a day that's a good day, not that us old season farts get to the point where I, I, I can dress to take any damn thing. <laughs> yeah, we can. But your kids, that's not going to be fun. You want to make sure it's good weather, good situation. If you can, try and get out ahead of time and find the fish. Now, a word of caution there. Don't do that every time because pretty soon they that's what they expect fishing is. It's just pulling up to a spot that you say and they catch fish right away. No, you need to get them, teach them about hunting fish, but let that happen once they've had a bunch of fun catching them. Go find your first couple of spots in advance. Take them out there. Know what you're going to do. Get them all excited about what you're going to tell them and what it's going to feel like and their, how they're going to act. And then get them on those fish and just let them get as many damn bites as they can get. And let them throw some of them back that are too small or some of them that are too big to eat. We want these medium-sized ones. And start teaching them right then. But let them have as much fun as they can have with you having fun with them. Yep. You can bring your mom with, too. Yeah. <laughs> and you all go as a family together and have a blast. And then you all go as a family together and clean those fish up. And you all sit down as a family and thank your creator for giving them to you, and you eat them, and they're as good as food gets, man. I'm thinking that's when you catch them yourself. I'm Sounds thinking that's probably food. some of the greatest advice that I've ever heard. So, well, thank you. It it it, it sticks to home. You you catch them, you clean them together, you eat them together, and you thank God for letting you allowing you to do just that. Absolutely. That that is, it don't get much better than that. It, it really don't, babe. We're running on about an hour and fifteen minutes. I want to thank you so much for being thank a part of our so show much. tonight. Um, you asked. You're so welcome, guys. Uh, I'm glad to. I hope that what we did this evening can help a bunch of people and that they enjoyed it and that they have more success this year because of it. Oh you yeah. Can, uh, getting me on another time. Well, let's challenge your audience. Let's go for a time uh, a couple of months down the road here and see if we can challenge your audience 
to go help you get a whole army of people to watch that night. And w let's try and break your attendance record. I'm let's do that. Let's do that. So, so get a contest or some kind of a thing going with, you know, with, with your followers and let them know about it and what's going to happen. And we can um, pick a time or just stew it over and think about it. Okay. I was thinking about that after you asked the question before. And there's ways that if we do this thing right, you can capitalize on it better than we are right now. Perfect. Hey, can you give your link one more time so everybody out there knows for the, the new project here's? Yes, sir. I'd be glad to. It's lowcase letters, getoutdoorstv.com. Thank you, sir. And we'll post that up in chat if somebody can do that for us. We'll make sure we'll get that in the description on this video because this video will remain on the Panfish Weekly uh, YouTube page. And we get a lot more views after the fact as well. So hopefully yeah. we'll get that word out that way. Okay. Absolutely. So, thank you, guys. I, I appreciate any help you can do. We'll, we'll help you all we can. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you if there's ever anything that, that I can do for you or Mark or our show. Yes, all you have to do is let us know. We wish the very best for you and your family. Uh, we can't wait for the new show to get out. And I'll contact you in a month and a half or so and, and tell you what we got going. And we'll plan the big show. And we'll get you back on here and, and go again. Sounds like fun. Thank you so much, babe. Thank you, babe, very Good much. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Have a great day. Or night, I should say. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, it's probably the greatest show that I've ever been a part of. I knew it would be an awesome show. Uh, what a great guest to have on. Uh, I agree. Thank you for letting me be part of it. Oh, man, it was a blast. we got another good one coming up next week. We'll get a thumbnail up and tell everybody about that in the upcoming week. Thank you so much for being a part of our second Panfish Weekly show. We plan on making this a big event for everybody every time we have a guest on we got some, some nice guests coming up, some wonderful guests coming up, and we have some local favorites that will be on our show here, uh, you know, down the road a little bit. So we want to make sure that, that we keep all those engaged, but be sure to stay tuned, and we'll get the next week's show up and let everybody know who the guest will be next week on Panfish Weekly. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thank you, babe. Thank you, everybody. Mm -hmm. Good night.